0: Again, good morning. If you got a chance, uh, grab a, a Bible or a device, whatever you got that has the, the Word of God in it, and open it up to Ephesians chapter six. So you can get the word in front of you yourself. Um, so you might remember way back in Ephesians chapter four, we learned from, from God's Word here that we are to put off the old self and we are to put on the new self, and then a little while longer past that. We began to learn that we are to walk according to the Spirit, and then these last few weeks we've been seeing as they've been uh, explaining the submission statement from Ephesians 5.21 and the way that it applies to these various household relationships. We saw husbands and wives and the way they relate to each other, children and parents and the way they relate to each other, and uh, now we're seeing one, bond servants and, and masters is the way it's put in your text in front of you if you've got the ESV. Uh, and what becomes clear through all this is that we are not only to be disciples of Christ at church, or at this moment in the mornings, but we are to be disciples of Christ in all of life, at home, and also outside the home, if wherever we, uh, our vocations might be. And so let's uh, go ahead and read the passage, Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 5. Bondservants, obey your earthly masters knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. The grass withers, the flower fades. Let's pray. Lord, uh, vocation is a large part of our lives. We ask that you would teach us from your word how we might think of and practice our work so that you are honored and you are glorified, whether we are above or below in the chain of leadership. Whether that work is in a lab or in an office, out in a field, a retail store, a classroom, wherever, Lord, we desire to honor you in our vocations. May these words honor you today. May our ears and hearts hear what you have to teach us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I think right off the bat, we realize that this passage is a problem for us as modern readers, right? Uh, Bond servants is one of those things that makes you maybe not notice it, but it's from the Greek word doulos, which means slave. Uh, One person who is possessing another person as though they were a piece of property. So let me make real clear a few distinctions. First of all, Scripture does not condone or approve of slavery. In fact, 1 Timothy (coughs) 1.10 lists off those who are ungodly sinners. That's the phrase used there. And in that list, he includes enslavers. That is people who would sell others into slavery. Uh, And another thing we we see here is this. Take a a moment, just look around the the congregation, the the place you are right now, and I want you to count every third person and and take note of that person. One, two, three, take note. And, And as you're doing that, I want you to realize that bond servants, slaves in the Ephesian culture, were about 33%. One in three people were an indentured slave in this regards. That's a lot of people. And I, I tell you that because I don't want you to miss the beauty of our passage here because you want it to simply condemn slavery and move on. It, it's absolutely beautiful here because I want you to notice that the God is speaking to those who are considered the lowest in their culture. That God's call to the wealthy and the prestigious and God's call to the poor and the lowly is, is the same here. It's a call to live under the lordship of Jesus Christ, to live differently because of the gospel in their life. See, bond servants were a huge part of households. That's why they're included here in the household part. And that explains why, why Paul is, is teaching to them in this portion of the letter. Again, not condoning it, but, but teaching them how their faith applies to the circumstances that they are actually living in, what their life actually looks like. He also in, instructs the masters here that, uh, you know, masters who actually had a legal right, according to Roman law, to exploit and even beat their slaves. But, but Paul here, you've got to understand, Paul is teaching that just because it's legal in the eyes of the law doesn't mean that it is right in the eyes of the Lord. And while the idea of slaves and masters might be incredibly foreign to us in the sense that we don't walk around, it's not part of our culture today, we, we do have employees and employers. And in these relationships, there are obligations for the sake of our livelihood. And Now, uh, you know, if Paul were, were writing to Americans in 2017, this would be the same call that he would give to waitresses and grad students and, you know, whatever work it is you might do outside your home. And I, I want you to understand, though, that when I, when I say that, I, I don't want you to think I'm pretending that employment is the same thing as slavery. It's not. It's not even, not even close. But if, if even slaves and masters in Paul's time, even slaves and, and masters were obligated to show Christ-like love to each other despite this incredibly unjust arrangement they lived in, then how much more should you and I be able to show Christ-like love in our places of work? This Situation pretty much extinguishes that excuse. My boss is so unfair, right? So let us understand that uh, as a Christian, uh, if someone is a Christian and also a businessman, that is to make them a Christian businessman. Uh, A soldier is a Christian soldier. uh, A farmer, a professor, a student, these are all Christian farmers, Christian professors, Christian students. That doesn't mean, right, that, the, that you simply put a verse on your email signature because you're a Christian businessman. It doesn't mean that you, you put a, a, a Jesus fish on your business card and call it a day because I'm a Christian businessman. What this means is it affects the way that you're going to treat people, the way that you're going to exercise ethics in the way you do business, your attitude, the, the way that, you have this, uh, that your life is informed by the call of God on your life because you are a disciple of Jesus Christ. In short, whatever your job, you are to approach it with the conviction that everything in this Bible right here, this word of God, is absolutely true and applies to your life, including the way you do business. So one more thing I, I want to mention before we unpack this, this really short passage is this. Um, we'll do well to remember that, that God is sovereign. Uh, all the time. But Particularly when you come to a passage like this. And when I say sovereign, what I mean is that he's all-powerful. That he's absolutely in, in, tro- in control of everything. I think we, we tend to think, you know, particularly when we look backwards, that, that kings kings have tons of power. Kings are of, of ultimate power. And yet in Proverbs 21, uh, verse, verse 1, God says this. He says, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will." That's the sovereignty of God. There is nothing that is outside the control of God. And so the truth that God is sovereign does a few things here. For the, for the slave who is in Ephesus sitting in, a, probably not a pew, but sitting in there listening, um, it, it has a few things to say also for us today. First, it gives hope to the slave that he or she still might be set free from the slavery. That, that God might providentially provide a way for their, their freedom to be purchased or given to them. And, and so it gives hope that their circumstances in life might change. Same's true for us, whatever our circumstances. Second, it should, le- it should lead to great gratitude because God has already set these, these, these Christian slaves and whatever it is you're doing in your life have set you free in Christ. Um, and, and that is God's sovereign call on your life, drawing you to himself. And, and the truth is, is that eternity is greater than anything you're experiencing now, whether it's miserable or whether it's wonderful. And the third thing is, is it leads to this important question. Because if I'm not just a slave, but a Christian slave, or if you are not just whatever job you have, but a a Christian in that job, then we've got to ask this question, what does God want me to do here? How does God want me to do this job? How am I to live where, where God has sovereignly placed me currently for his glory? And so then, because of the res- resurrection of Christ, the gospel itself, purpose is given to, life of, to the life of this man or this woman. Purpose is given to you and I, all of us, uh, and no matter how frustrating your daily work is, you can obey the Lord. No matter how frustrating it is, no matter how much it's not where you really want to be, you can glorify the Lord wherever he actually has you. So let's, let's look at the text itself. Right off the bat here... Um, I don't know if you noticed going through it as quickly as we did before, but there are three times already in this short passage, three times that Paul equates uh, obeying and, and serving these earthly masters with obeying and serving the Lord God himself. Verse 5, if you got it open, you can look real quick. Verse 5, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Verse 6, but as bondservants of Christ, right? He's putting it that way, doing the will of, will of God from the heart. Also in verse 7, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. Paul's not just being redundant. That's not what this is. It's, it's repetition, but it's repetition on purpose so that we don't miss the point that he's making here, and that's that their work, their, their masters, your work, your bosses and captains and managers and professors and teachers, it, it, you know, any work that you do towards them, any service you do towards them is counted as service to God. Now that might cause us to think about our life and the work we've done and think, well, how are we doing? You know, I, I look back to various bosses I've been under. I don't want to consider that question. I think more importantly than, than just looking backwards to how we're doing is looking forward, that we might learn here, that we might ask the, the, the Lord's Spirit to give us strength and, you know, that we might improve in this area. See, the, the, the more difficult a boss is, the harder this is to do. Absolutely true. won't deny that. But, but certainly it doesn't negate our call to, to labor in a, in a way that is fitting for our calling as, as Christians. And see, his motivation here is, is this. It's, it's listen, your, your boss might be incredibly unworthy. That might be a true statement, right? Uh, but Jesus, your Savior, is a good master. And so the service that you render to that unworthy boss is now being, being counted as service to your worthy Savior. Not to earn you salvation, but it's service to your Savior who has already earned for you salvation. You know, re- re- you've got to remember through all this that, that work is a good thing. It is. I think we easily forget that. You know, God could have created the world just, just bam, done. And, and yet he models for us work in the way that he does it, you know, over these, these six days and then, and then rest things. He put Adam and Eve into the garden, and, and I don't know if you noticed, but he didn't tell them, you know, uh, mix up some fruity drinks and sit by the pool. This is paradise. That's not what he says. That's what you'd picture as paradise, right? But, but he tells them to tend the garden. That's work. Tend the garden. This is even before the fall. Sin hasn't entered the world, and, and God in paradise gives them work to do. Work is good. Also, if if tomorrow everyone stopped working, everyone, we'd all die. All seven billion people on the planet would die pretty quick. You know, you'd be down to your last Twinkie thinking, this is it. My last meal. Uh, What, three days from now? Mine would probably be quicker. I'd eat all the food quicker. But, see, works is a means of God's providence in our lives. It's the way that, that God is sustaining the world. That he gives work, people do it, and the world continues. And and so then, you know, what is to be the character of of our work as we we consider this? Well, in verse 5 we see this, Obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling. You see, so so long as you've not been asked to sin by someone over you in your work, and and thus disobey your, your heavenly father, your heavenly master, you are to obey your superiors. Um... Unlike bond servants, slaves in Paul's time, you can actually resign from your job if you hate it that much. But if you're not resigning from your job, you're you're called to obey. Uh, yes, even if your boss is terrible. First Peter two eighteen says this. Um, it speaks to that. It says this again, talking to slaves. Says, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect. That part's easy, right? Until so you get this. Not only to the good and the gentle, but also to the unjust. Even the bad bosses. And yet our our passage here, when it says that, uh, you know, to do so with fear and trembling, this doesn't mean you're to to fear your boss as if he might, you know, swing at you or somehow harm you. Rather, there's a a statement here of, of, of reverence, of respect, Second Corinthians, uh, chapter seven, verse 14, uh, there the, the Christians are being commended for the way that they received Titus, Titus who's a brother in Christ, and, and they're said, the way you received him with fear and trembling. They didn't receive Titus with this fear that you know, this brother in Christ is gonna, gonna harm them or hurt them. They received him with a, a respect for him, a reverence. And so we, we pray and, and we seek to, to show respect to our managers and our superiors in your vocation, whoever that might be. Even the term goodwill in the passage here, right? Verse 6 teaches us that we're to have this this genuine desire to to seek the good of our masters, to seek the good of our employers, to really want to see their plans succeed. There's always that temptation when you don't like the boss, right? Like, let's just let everything fail, stick it to the man. And he's saying, you can't live that way. That's not the way we do this as, as followers of Christ. I mean, our, our culture has absolutely normalized the practice of employees bashing their bosses. But we're to be different as followers of Christ. You know, that, that, that's often not easy to do. I absolutely admit that. But, you know, we must be asking the Lord to strengthen us. Strengthen us to just remain silent when, when that can of worm opens and, and your boss is being ripped into by everyone. It is so easy to join in on that. Verse, verse 6 also says our, our services, not by way of eye service, as, as people pleasers. Do you, do you have the, the same work ethic when, when you're working alone and no one's watching you that you have when your boss is standing over you watching what, what you're doing or when they've gone on vacation? Do you think that's a vacation in, in the workplace as well? You see, too often we, we seek to do the absolute bare minimum that we can possibly do, and, and we're called to do more. Uh, in college, Laura and I both got hired by uh, Texas A&M to, to, for this project they were doing. They needed to shift the books from the library across the entire library. Um, and so there was a ton of us. And we basically made this chain of people that would take you know, three or four books and pass it to the next person. We were a machine um, to go back and forth like that. One of our superiors was named Dorcas, um, which is an awesome name, also a biblical name. and has nothing to do with the story. Um, And so we made this incredibly long chain, and we're passing it, and it was one of the saddest things you'd ever see, that this chain would basically stop moving, and then the elevator would open, and one of the supervisors would walk out, and this chain would just be flying amazing fast. It was totally different whether we were being watched or not, and that's the shameful way to work. It ought not be that way. As, As Christians, we should be fully engaged at our places of work giving our minds our hearts our bodies fully to the to the best of our, our ability the best we possibly can to whatever task is at, at hand you know you know christian <clears throat> do you, do you hear the core of what god is teaching us here be great employees be great students in classes you know, a, a great soldier. Be a, uh, to your superior, you know, that they might think I'm so glad to have this person under me. See, the scriptures speak about this in, in other places as well. In Colossians 3.22, uh, he says our service is to be uh, done with sincerity of heart. Not just going through the motions, but actually involved in it. Titus 2.9, where we're called to be servants, to, to be well-pleasing, not argumentative. Not argumentative. And I I can't stress this enough. It's not a conditional statement. It's not if your boss is kind, if he's brilliant, if he's the most capable man on the earth, then, then you should do what he's asking you to do. Then you should work hard for him. It's not a conditional statement. You know, it's not not even show respect if they've if they've earned respect, and I think too often we're a little off in our understanding of Scripture. Uh, a few times I've had someone say to me, uh, basically reference Romans 13:7 uh, as their reason for not respecting their their boss or their teacher or their professor, and they'll tell me, you know, Romans tells us, you know, give respect to those who deserve respect, and I I don't know what they're expecting me to say in response. Yeah, you make a good point. You should totally disrespect your boss. You know, we could do a brainstorming session, figure out some ways to undermine his authority. I don't, I don't know what they expect. But, but at the bottom line, what they've done here is they've actually misunderstood what God did say in Romans thirteen seven. It says, respect to whom respect is owed. Not earned, owed. And, and that's the point here, that we are to be respectful to our superiors, not because they've earned it, but because our gracious God has called us to show them respect. And because he's called us to do that, it's owed to them. Verse 8 in this is, is the last verse in this uh, that's directed to, to bond servants, to, to slaves. Uh, it says this, Whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant or is free. I think almost every place I've, I've worked in my life, one of the biggest struggles people have had, um, you know, no matter where it's been, uh, in an office it's the same problem as making giant burritos for people, the, the struggle has been when you feel completely underappreciated by, by those above you. Uh, surely, you know, you, you've heard a phrase like that, uh, he doesn't really care about us. At all. Or, you know, uh, I, I stayed up late to fix the problem that she created. Not even a thank you. Something along those lines. <clears throat> and this passage calls us to look up the hierarchy, to look past those bosses, right? To look past those managers, those superiors, and, and look to God so that we, we are set free from trying to find satisfaction in our jobs based on how well we are awarded or how well we are appreciated by, a, by another person in that setting. You know, as Colossians 3, 24 also teaches, whatever you do, that's pretty broad, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. The details of of what we will receive back from the Lord are not real clear, but what we can be absolutely certain of from the scriptures here is that even if our managers, even if our bosses, even if our masters don't acknowledge good service, don't reward us for what we've done, if they aren't grateful for the work we do, we can be sure that it does not go unnoticed by our Lord. That's where we need to care about. Okay, in verse 9, it switches, right? No longer speaking to, to slaves, but speaking to, to masters, those who had bondservants. It says this, Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. It is uh, true. There are those who were uh, Christians in the early church who actually had slaves. Philemon is one of them. There's a book in the Bible named him. Uh, slave owners, according to Roman law, we've already mentioned, they had the power of life or death over their slaves. They were allowed to beat. There was harsh treatment. They could put their own slaves into imprisonment. Uh, it was a terrible system set up to treat another person like a possession. The law permitted terrible things, but Paul calls Christian slaves to be very different than others who have slaves. Uh, you know, when he, when he writes to them, he says this, Do the same to them. When he says that, that's everything he's just listed, that he's asking these slaves to do the other way, right? We've, we've just seen that, that bond servants are called to, do, that superiors such as bosses and managers are to have the same attitudes, the same motivations, the same goodwill for those who are under their command. In fact, the only command here that's actually unique from what we've already seen then is, is this, this command, stop your threatening. Stop your threatening. And he says this because Paul knows just how tempting it is for those who are in a position of power to to get what they want by abusing that power, by threatening, by manipulating, by treating someone cruelly until they get the results they want. And he's very clear, this is not the way of a Christian. When, when I was in high school, our, our youth pastor would often uh, tell the youth intern. It's always good to have the intern. And, and whenever he'd mess something up, the, the phrase out of our, our youth pastor's mouth was, don't forget, you're expendable. And so, of course, I used that when I had interns. Uh, he was joking, I think. But real forms of threats, you know, real, real threats to people are, are really just a, a form of Oppression. You know, so so Paul's saying that to, to, to those who are in power, you're, you're not to mistreat those who are under your power simply because you have the power and you can. You can't, right? You know, Laura had this, this marketing director when she worked in a radio station in Dallas, uh, and this woman would scream at people, she'd belittle them, and, and, and she absolutely did it because she'd been there a while, she had the power to do it, and who was going to stop her? Well, eventually... She was fired because she was exposed for what she was doing. Um, And there were people more powerful than her that could could remove her. There's always people more powerful, right? God is more powerful here and uh, above both the slave and the master, above, uh, you know, he's above the employee and the employer. And, And in the eyes of God, both are simply human beings. You know, in other words, when, when God calls us to love our neighbors, that includes servants, it includes employees, it includes everyone who, who might be under your responsibility at work. Those are the neighbors that God is calling you to love. And, and Paul ends this by, by reminding the masters here that there is no partiality with God. No partiality. See, see, those in power sometimes get away with the abuse, they get away with oppression in this world because people are, are too afraid to confront them. It will cost them too much. And so Paul's point in saying this partiality statement is that God doesn't care who you are in the shuffling of importance and power in this world. He doesn't care. He's God. You know, even if you're the sort of person that that causes others to tremble simply by walking in the room, if you're the sort of person that, that everyone flatters because they're afraid of you, who will do just about anything that you ask him to do because of your power. Even then, to God, you are but a creature of his creating. Not powerful, but desperately in need of a savior yourself. So isn't it fitting then that our savior is one who served from a lowly position to redeem us, to bring us into a highly position with him. Philippians 2, 6 and 8, speaking of Jesus, says this, Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And the point of even death on a cross is that is a disgraceful way for someone to have died in that time. And when it says that that Jesus took the form of a servant here, that word servant there, that's the same Greek word that's rendered bondservant in our passage here. The one that translates to to slave. Jesus came to the low in in society. That's Advent that we're celebrating, right? The coming of Christ into the world, the coming for, for his people and we're seeing this. He came as the low in society, not just to the low, but as the low. And he gives his life. That the, uh, uh, that's the work that Jesus did. He gives his life. Not because we were worthy. We weren't worthy for him to do that. But, but because it pleased the Father. It did. Because of what Jesus has accomplished for us, we can work in a way that also brings glory to God. See what I'm saying is that in your work, no matter what your work is, even if it's as lowly as a slave would have been at this time, we can honor the Holy One who has worked for you on the cross and continues to work for you from the throne of God. And I hope you you just find this refreshing to learn and to know that as a Christian, the value of your work is not in how much money you make. It's not. It's not in how much what kind of reputation you've created. It's not in what your stockholders think of you. It's, it's not in the awards you're able to hang on the wall of your office. No, we, we, we want something greater than cash, greater than portfolios, greater than vocational awards. We, we seek to hear from the Savior when our life ends, as it inevitably will end, those, those words from our Savior, well done, you know the rest of this, right? Well done, good and faithful servant. Let us pray.